You're listening to episode 124 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a podcasting coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, and a Canadian with a sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using stories to connect with and positively impact others. Here on the Room to Grow podcast, we're going deep into big topics like relationships, mental health, business, confidence, lifestyle, personal development, and entrepreneurship, and being open, honest, and real about how to learn from tough lessons along the way when life throws you into the unexpected. I bring you thoughts and guests with stories that will change the way you look at the world and yourself so that we can learn from each other and grow with lots of self-love and compassion every step of the way. There's always more room to grow. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, it's Emily. Welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And if you are new to the podcast, you might not know that one of my best friends in the world, Christina Montalvo, she and I team up at the end of every month to do a joint episode that airs on both of our podcasts. So Christina is over at uh, the, the Confidence Project podcast. Please make sure to go check her out and give it a quick search or everything is listed in the show notes to find her as well. And today we're going to be talking about some of the aftermath of the affair that was going on in the relationship that I ended uh, at Christmas, Christmas of 2018. Um, For anyone, again, for anyone who doesn't already know, if you want the backstory to this, please reference episode 117 uh, about the nine years of infidelity that was happening without my knowledge. (laughs) So that is really a prerequisite for this episode. And then this episode will make more sense. Uh, We do explain things a little bit in this one, but if you want the full details, definitely go check out uh, episode 117 first and then circle back to this one. And this one will will definitely uh, make more sense to you. So I, since I aired that episode, the outpouring has just been unreal, by the way. Thank you for that. <laughs> the support has just like completely blown me away. And the one thing that I noticed was that I've had some comments from a few people about how well they think I'm handling all this and have handled all of this. I, I'm so appreciative. I, so incredibly appreciative of that. But I want to stress that it has not been pretty getting here. It has not been pretty just because, you know, I've gotten to a point where I'm really calm about it and I can (laughs) genuinely laugh about it because the story is just insane. (laughs) Um, It, it has not been a cute journey to get to where I am now. Um, And Christina and I had been planning on doing this episode for quite a while. And basically one of the things that we're talking about in this episode is how I basically didn't smile or laugh for most of the first six months of, of 2019 and how far I've come since then in a relatively short period of time. Um, we're talking about when healing has looked incredibly ugly and painful. Like when I found out about the house, <laughs> the, the secret house down the street from ours and punched a wall so hard that my hand was black for two weeks. This is, this is the shit that most people don't talk about. And I want to be transparent with you that this has not been a, a pleasant journey to get to where I am now. Um, <laughs> first time that has ever happened in my life. <laughs> uh, Christine and I are sort of talking about some previously unshared details that I never thought I would chat about publicly um, and have a little bit more of an open conversation than I necessarily planned on having uh, about some very raw moments that have come with this process as it was unfolding in real time. Um, You are going to hear about how to support a friend going through a massive life-altering crisis. I give Christina so much credit for this because she has just been an absolute rock for me. Um, When and how to listen and when to offer advice. And really showing up 
in the way that your friend needs you to, not the way you necessarily would want to be supported because we all have an individual process. Christina has just been here for every single moment and the details of all of this right beside me the entire time and provided me such a safe space to fall when I thought I couldn't get out of bed in the morning, even with an international border separating us. And we're also going to be going through some of the ways that you can move through your own healing process from any major issue that you're struggling with that don't involve flying as far from one's home country as possible, <laughs> which is the route that I took. <laughs> uh, so this episode is definitely a little bit more unstructured than we sometimes have. It is also longer than we usually do. Normally we cut these off at 60 minutes. Normally all of my interviews get cut off at 60 minutes and this isn't really an interview so much as a conversation. Um, but yeah, this episode is a little bit different than our usual. Uh, but I, I think, I, I hope that you're still going to get quite a bit out of it. We, we definitely are pulling back the curtain a little bit more than I had thought that I would, but uh, I, I really, it meant a lot to me to be able to be more transparent about how I've moved through this because again, I think that some people are just hearing me talk about it now and they're hearing me talk about it like with, with laughter, like I'm laughing about it. People are like, wait, what? Like, how did you get here? So I'm, I'm giving you a little bit more behind the scenes as to how the heck I have gotten here and what we can uh, all pull from that, including my mistakes, by the way. So <laughs> I don't want to make this any longer because it's already a longer episode than usual. So let's dive in. <laughs> hey, everyone. I have Emily Goff here. <laughs> Where are you? Where are you calling in from, <laughs> I'm calling in from my closet in Bali. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm here with Christina Montalvo uh, of the Confidence Project podcast. Christina, where are you calling in from? <laughs> Not a closet in Bali, you guys. I'm in my bedroom in Carol Stream with bedhead and a robe on. <laughs> Which isn't nearly as exciting as Emily Goff, who, as you guys know, this is another episode of our still-to-be-unnamed series. Like, why have we not named this series yet? I don't know. Whatever. We, we just get distracted with how awesome our content is, so we'll just, we'll just stick with that excuse. <laughs> so, for context, it is 8.28 a.m. here on a Thursday. What time is it for you? 9:28 p.m. also on Thursday. Although you and I are often on different days. So it's yeah. unusual that we're talking on the same day. It's it's weird. I feel like a time traveler sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like you had sent me an audio message and you were like Thursday morning and I'm like, "Girl, it hasn't even been Thursday here yet." It's <laughs> night for me. So that's been interesting. Um obviously you guys listening can hear that Emily and I are laughing right now, which I actually think we should preface perhaps our our uh for lack of a better word our attitude today yes because this is yeah we're gonna be talking about some pretty dark shit uh yeah. and a very dark time in my life and like you actually described it to me the other day when we were discussing doing this episode you were like we need to make clear that it was a really fucking scary period of time yeah so as much as Christine and I are both going to be laughing throughout this episode. It's kind of the attitude that I have adopted looking back on it. Uh, when you guys hear the story, you'll understand that it's 
kind of fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the overall story. And I don't know. I, I just keep saying to people, I'm like, sometimes you just have to fucking laugh. Like you just have to fucking laugh and look at, look at what you've been dealt and be like, well, <laughs> gonna make the best out of this. <laughs> I also just want to say that before we dive into the story, like you deserve to be laughing right now because you did not laugh for months. That's a great point. I, I literally didn't laugh like for months at all. No, I, you're, you're so right. I, I, I think that one of the only times I laughed is when you came to visit me in Canada and then we had a few laughs, but then there was also a lot of me crying. So it was like a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, if you hear, if you hear Emily laughing amidst the chaos of today's episode, as she retells this story of what was not funny eight months ago, it wasn't even funny six months ago. I mean, it wasn't even funny four months ago. Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, it's like a relatively new thing that it's funny. <laughs> yes. It's because she deserves to laugh because shit was not funny for a very long time. So I, I feel like it's very important for us to stress that because we're not trying to make light of the situation. And I don't want to do how bad the situation was a disservice. Um, because as you know, Emily, as a podcast host, like the idea is to bring our audience along on a journey. So it's just interesting to do that now in hindsight of said situation. Yes. And I think we're also going to talk about the fact that it's actually a little bit surprising to both of us that we're laughing about it this soon too, but we'll get into that more. Yes. Okay. So who wants to start? <laughs> well, I'll just dive right in and pull the bandaid off. <laughs> All right. Because that's how I roll these days. Um, so for anyone who is listening to this on my podcast, you may have already heard my podcast is Room to Grow. If you're listening on Christina's uh, platform, um, you may have already heard the episode that I put out a couple weeks ago about the infidelity that was going on in my relationship. So on Christmas Eve, uh, <laughs> I found out Christmas Eve of this past December, I found out that my partner of nine years, former partner, uh, now had been unfaithful to me and, uh, cheating on me with his previous girlfriend for our entire nine year relationship on and off. Um, and I found out when she came banging down our door at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> I'm Christmas so, Eve. on Christmas Eve. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's the, uh, the like one sentence gist roundup and then all of the dominoes that fell afterwards so if you want like uh, like more of of the really individual details like go over and check out that episode but I think uh Christina and I are also going to talk a little bit about how you supported me throughout this Christina and some of the specific instances and like lengths that we had to go to in order to protect me that we honestly never thought in a million years we ever would have had to have done I just want to be clear for everybody listening <clears throat> <laughs> Emily's former partner did not just cheat on her for nine year years. <laughs> he had a full on double life. Like, yes, let's just call a spade a spade. It wasn't just like, oh, whoopsies, like I cheated on you. It was a full on double life. Pot potentially, it was, it was significant. Potentially a triple life. Like, there's just, <laughs> it might be more than double life sometimes. I'm still not sure. Yes. And, and I, I can't, uh, 
directly report on the third potential aspect because I don't have as many details about that. So we'll go with double, but that there was. But who knows? Like, can, but who but knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? And I also want to stress again for anyone who hasn't heard more of the story of this that this was a shocking revelation, not just because of like the dramatics of it. Like, well, I hate even like, I hate all the drama bullshit. And you and I did an episode on the save the drama for your mama. And so everyone needs to go check out that because that's how I really feel about drama. But somehow I ended up with this bomb landing in the middle of my life. And um, it was incredibly unexpected for anyone who knew him or knew him with me, like us as a couple. Um, we had lived together for years. We were, we were a couple that a, a lot of other people would look to us and say that they thought that we were a really great couple, uh, like all of these things. And this was a total shock to anyone who knew either of us. So this isn't one of those situations where everybody knew except for me. Um, there's different types of infidelity. There's different reasons why infidelity happens. And this was not a situation where everybody knew except for me. Right. Everyone was shocked. Yeah. So I want to back this story up to like over a year ago at this point. At that time, I was going through some stuff in my own relationship, not infidelity, just regular relationship bullshit. And I remember being on calls with you. And in the back of my head being like, damn, like, I wish I had what, what Emily had. That was like the one conscious thought. And I would turn to you for like relationship advice and whatnot. And then as that summer progressed, the other side of me was like, something's not right though, because of different contexts and situations that were arising in your relationship. And so we had put a poll on Instagram stories of like, do you bring up like, should I have brought up that I had some questions about some of the things that was happening inside your relationship? Um, and what are your thoughts on that? Oh, so many thoughts in this. Um, I'm very much of the belief that overall, honesty is the best policy. I understand that there are little white lies that can be much softer than a harsh truth. But when it comes to something like this, I, I want to know. So I think that, I mean, obviously I already felt pretty strongly about infidelity, but now I feel frankly, even more strongly about it. And it's not that I don't understand why it happens. I do understand why it happens, but I'm not okay with like all of the lies that go along with it. And that's often one of the most hurtful parts about infidelity is the the betrayal, the going behind your back, the exclusion, all of the issues that are associated with it, even more so than the actual physical act itself, or in some cases, emotional act itself, if it's an emotional affair. Um, so I would have preferred to have known. But like, would you have preferred for me to have been like, Emily, hey, I have some concerns about your relationship, which just sounds so silly because I'm not in your relationship. So from like a friend standpoint, at that time, let's say over a year ago, how do you think you would have received that from me, let's say, being like, something just feels off for me as like a third party objective viewer? And you know what? I did have one close girlfriend who, she's the only other one 
she's the only other one that was also close enough to me to even see some of these things that were happening. Anyway, you two were the only two that really saw that, uh, you guys and my mom. And she did actually say to me a couple times, she's like, something is off. She's like, something is off. And she's like, it doesn't even mean that he's like cheating necessarily. She's like, he might just not be telling you something. She's like, but something is off. And I didn't really disagree with her because I, there were a couple specific situations where I literally said the same thing to him. And I said, listen, I feel like I'm not getting the full version of the story here. Like, I feel like there's pieces of the puzzle that you're not giving me. And I would just get brushed off. I would get told, no, this is what happened. I don't know what else you want me to say. Um, all kinds of reasoning, uh, made up things that would cover him. Yeah. So, and, and I ultimately believed him. And we were working with a therapist as well. And she believed him too. And, and I had a huge amount of trust in her. And that wasn't her fault, by the way. And, and I, I love her dearly. And I continued to work with her uh, on an individual basis when all of this happened. So that isn't about her. I think that speaks more to his immense skill at doing what he was doing. <laughs> because he had so many people fooled that it was impossible to discern the truth from the lies. Impossible. So I, am, I, I was open to hearing that there were issues happening, but I would still, he was still like the final, the final version for me. And if his version said that everything was okay, it was like, I was just shutting down my own intuition. I'm like, no, okay, then it must be fine. It must be okay. This thought just came to me right now. I think why it was so easy for me to, well, first I'm not in the relationship, right? But I also had never met him personally. So I don't think I was yes. ever, he never had the opportunity to um, do what he was so good at doing with other people that he knew in person. Um, yes. And I only had your side of the story. And honestly, I think it's important for me to say this. Like I, the way that you, um, supported him and, and defended him. Not, this was before the infidelity had even been brought to light. This is during our conversations. I'll never forget. I remember that it was summer because I was always outside on a walk whenever we were chatting. And I was thinking I would not for the, for a fucking second believe his story again. And again, there was no infidelity was not even on the table. And I remember thinking, and this is still true. I wish I was more like Emily. Cause you were you were ruthlessly supportive and um, loyal and you, you really upheld him in this amazing light. And I, to this day, I'm like, I need to be more like Emily, a hundred percent, like <laughs> oh my God, more compassionate and whatever. <laughs> and so when I got this fucking long ass text message on December 26th, which I remember thinking something's wrong because my birthday is December 22nd and the lines of communication. I think I had sent you a few text messages and hadn't heard from you. And which wasn't necessarily atypical because I know, um, for a while there, like over the winter, like you had, um, phone free weekends, you know, a lot of stuff going on. And I remember there was a conversation of the anticipation of being in, getting engaged. And so I'm thinking, where the fuck is she? If she's engaged, where's my text message? You know, 
it, of course, making it selfish about me of like, where the fuck is my text message, Emily? And then I was thinking because I, I swear to God, and you know this, part of me was like, something's fucking wrong. Something is wrong. And I didn't think it was going to be that wrong. Let me tell you, I did not think it was going to be that wrong. And so when I got Girl, this, none of us thought it was going to be that wrong. <laughs> I thought it was going to be more in line of like, it didn't, we didn't get engaged again. Like something yes. ridiculous happened, you know, like all the other ridiculous things that were happening minus the infidelity part again. Um, and so when I got this horribly somber is not even, it was a devastating text message to be honest of it was devastating and so fucking dramatic because it was dramatic, right? Like this ex-girlfriend comes and bangs down your door and you're, you're recapping this to me in a text message. I was like, holy shit like what now and you had said right off the bat like and I'm not ready to necessarily discuss it I mean and then it was more radio silence from you yeah yeah and I was like because this this is the problem this is what I do is that I I completely isolate myself but when you're talking about somebody who is because we were still staying in the same house together at that point because it was still like basically the, just the day after Christmas, he didn't move out until the day, uh, until the next day after that again. It's very dangerous to be isolated with someone who is inflicting emotional abuse on you. Very dangerous. Any, anyone will tell you that because as much as a, a lot of times, I, I don't want to go too far down this road because I'm not an, a mental health expert at all, but typically the general research tends to show that an abuser will try to isolate the person that they are inflicting this upon because then it, it, it's like separating, you know, the sheep from the herd. Right. And what was unusual about me was that I was next to impossible to isolate because I've always been so strong willed and so independent. I was not able to be controlled in the way that I think would have been ideal in someone else's eyes. So the, uh, the other side of the coin though, is that I tend to isolate myself. So I will just kind of like back away when things get hard and I'm like, no, nope, I'm just going to go kind of bury myself for a little while because I can't talk. I can't people right now. <laughs> and I'm already an introvert and all of those things. So I tend to isolate myself, but that's a very dangerous thing to do sometimes for your own mental health. Um, and something that I've had to really work really hard on this year is getting better at, at reaching out and asking for help when I need it too. Yeah. That was the hardest part for me as your friend, because, and it was a huge learning curve too. I had to really listen, not just hear what you were saying to me, but listen, because I was like, is Emily okay? I wear like, I wanted these constant updates. First of all, because I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, are you okay? Are you safe? Like, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, you would oftentimes be like, I just, again, like even after it happened, like I'm shutting my phone off. And so I would have to, again, like my, so your natural thing is isolation. Mine is fixing where I was like, we just got to go to work and fix this for Emily. And like, what are we going to do? And blah, 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 blah. And of course I'm like, injecting myself where I'm likely not, not needed or invited. (laughs) I was like, we're doing this together. 
And I had to give you that space and also know and like, and trust you as a friend while also being like, my phone is on and I'm available for you when you turn your phone back on, when you're ready to talk about this next thing. Um, but also something that I learned was like, how do you balance that? How do I not essentially crawl up your ass and demand for you to tell me everything in real time that's going on, but also not make you feel like I'm not there for you, you know, if the, the phone has been silent for, for three to four days on end, you know, and you and I, I, what I love about our friendship is I would send you, and we've done this back and forth over the years now of like, just thinking of you, like just that, like no probing questions um, you know, not anything crazy. And you did that for me literally like a couple days ago. Right. And I don't have this dramatic bomb of anything necessarily that's gone off recently. Um, but I remember thinking like, I just need to let her know that I'm here. So like thinking of you, hope you had a good weekend, whatever, and kind of throw that line out so that when you were ready to open up a bit more, um, that you knew that I was there. And, and I really commend you for that because you took, honestly, I, at least for me, it was the absolute perfect approach because even if I did see those messages come in and, and literally did not have the, fe- the, the mental or physical energy to respond, I just felt like a little bit loved. And then I knew that I would get back to you when I was ready. And you were just like a constant source of support. I, I mentioned you in the episode that I talked about this, not directly by name. Um, but then the other episode that for anyone who wants to go back on my podcast, I can't remember the episode number, but I'll make sure to link to it. It was a a special episode I did for international women's day back in March. And I featured you on it. And we were talking about, um, something that you've done for another woman that made her feel seen, supported, loved, or heard and vice versa. Something that you have done for another woman that made, no, did I say that right? (laughs) It goes both ways. Anyway. Um, seen, supported, loved, and heard. And you, again, didn't mention me by name because we weren't ready to, I wasn't ready to discuss any of this publicly yet, but you went above and beyond in like a whole new way that was new for you too, to support a friend in the way that you supported me. And it's especially hard because we're separated by an international border too. It's not like you were around the corner. So you couldn't just like pop in whenever you wanted. Like it, it didn't work like that. And that made it a lot harder for you too. And I think that you just handled it with so much grace that it was, I, I always felt supported by you at basically any hour of the day um, without you being overbearing. And, and you really did find that balance in, in a really, really amazing way. I almost wonder if that international border <laughs> made it easy. <laughs> easier for me to not be overbearing because I don't, Emily, I'm not, I, this is not an exaggeration. Like I'm thinking about my girlfriends that live close. I would like to think that I wouldn't like march my happy ass over to said (laughs) partner and be like, you need to sit down. Like we're like, we're either going to hash this out or we're going to punch each other in the face about it because I don't know. So I don't know if that's a good thing for me or for your former partner, because I, I don't think I had a choice, you know, let's let's talk about when you did meet him because you did meet him uh, a couple months after this happened. Yes, I did. And that was an experience. (laughs) 
Okay, I just want to be clear. <laughs> this is where the laughing starts. <laughs> Tell everyone how your partner perceived me prior to never meeting me. Because I think that's important. Okay. Yes. So he had never met you ever, but you and I had already been friends at this point for what, like two, two years ish, Mm -hmm. something like that. And so he'd heard a lot about you because you've been one of my best friends for, for almost that entire time, I feel like. And I think that he had gotten the impression (laughs) that you are a very strong willed individual. You're basically total badass and don't fuck with Christina pretty well. (laughs) And I think that he was a little bit afraid of you. He, he basically practically said as much. And I mean, like when we were still together. Um, and so then when you were coming to visit me in Canada, he and I, and again, we'll, we'll get more into this in a minute, but he and I were still having to work together relatively closely on some renovations that we were doing on the house before we could sell it. So we were not living together. We had not been living together since uh, like two days after Christmas. But he would still have to come by regularly and we would work on some renovations and stuff. So I had just picked you up from the airport. We'd gone for lunch. We got home and he had to come by to fix some plumbing thing that hadn't worked that we had done earlier. Anyway, and (laughs) I'm like, well, I'm obviously not going to tell him in advance that you're here. So he walked in the door and the only mistake that we've made the way my house is set up and like the particular door he came in, he couldn't actually see you. So he came in the door, he knocked, he came in the door and we'd forgotten to hide your boots. So he saw these, these tiny little boots because again, <laughs> you can, you can reference previous episodes where Christina and I've talked about our height difference. You are four nine, I'm six feet and it's hilarious. The difference between us. So he knew damn well they were my Sasquatch boots that they were definitely someone else's. So he's, I can't remember what he said. No, he goes, who's here? And I'm sitting in the other room going, motherfucker, my fucking boots. (laughs) So at first you didn't go to see him. He, He went straight downstairs to the basement to work on the plumbing thing. And I said, oh, Christina's here. And oh, like, that's nice. Like, yeah, uh, I think you're shitting yourself right now, but okay. (laughs) So, because again, he also hadn't seen anyone with me. He had only ever seen just me since I ended things. He, like, he had seen my mom, I think once or twice, but no one else like with me or anyone from this sounds super lame, but like team Emily, you know what I mean? Nope. Yep. So I think that was also a really big deal just in and of itself. And then the fact that it was you in particular, I think was perhaps a little bit frightening for him. Before this though, do you remember, this is coming to me now, remember when all this first happened? Didn't a few days after he said, what does Christina think? Yes. Or what does Christina have to say? Because on boxing day, when I sent you that devastating text, you responded and he saw your name pop up on my phone. He didn't see the message itself, but he saw your name pop up and you sent me like three text messages at least, obviously. And he kept seeing it flash Christina Mm. Montalvo and he kept looking at it and I wasn't opening the phone in front of him, obviously. And then, yeah, a couple of days later, he was like, so what does Christina, it might even have been that day. He's like, so what does Christina have to say about this? And I'm like, what do you think Christina has to say about this? Like, 
what do you want me to say here? <laughs> she doesn't have nice things to say about you. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> right. Oh, she said it's okay. <laughs> so anyway. Oh. So anyway. He sees my damn boots. You know, whatever. So he goes down to the basement. How long did I wait to go down there? You waited. I wasn't even sure if you were going to come down. I think it was a good, like, 15 minutes. I'm thinking you can sweat your balls off down there while you sweat this out. (laughs) Making him wait. So then you finally came downstairs. You wandered downstairs. And I was already down there because we were talking about something to do with the sink or something. And I rested my body up against, like, the side (laughs) Like and I said, out the doorway. And I'm not going to say his name, but I was just like, hello, blank. And did he stick? He stood. No, he didn't. Yes. I don't. Re- and I shook his hand. I can't remember. Not yet. I shook his hand while he was still down, which was good because I was like, I'm asserting dominance, you motherfucker. And we locked <laughs> eyes. And I didn't think he was going to give me eye contact. And he did. And that was a very an entire universe of information was passed in our eye contact in that moment. And if any of you listening have ever had that where you're like, I know that you know, and you know that I know everyone here knows what I've done. You know, he's thinking, he's looking at me going, she knows everything. And I'm looking at you going, I know everything. And I, in the back of my mind, I'm shaking his hand and I'm like, break his fucking fingers. (laughs) (laughs) And I shook the shit out of his hand and, uh, he quickly turned that he was, um, he was a lot more like normal. And I don't mean normal. I mean, normal considering the circumstances, like he didn't have shifty eyes. He didn't try to ignore me. He wasn't disrespectful. It was a very core. I mean, it was never. And I told Emily this, I told you this, Emily, Um, like, I'm not going to make it awkward for you because I'm leaving Canada at some point and you're stuck in this situation. So it is not my goal to kick up the dust that's already settled. Um, like that was never my goal. Of course, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, would I like to drag your body into an alley? Of course, but I'm not going (laughs) to do that. Um, and so he had stood and he's a lot, like most people are a lot taller than me. And so he shifted the conversation. I'll never forget to like, wow, you are really short. And I'm thinking, Okay. You like whatever, whatever helps you sleep at night, honey, you can say whatever you'd like. Um, and that was that. And he, you know, when he was done with whatever plumbing work he needed to do, he stood at the back door and I was in a completely different room of the house. He did not come and say bye to me. Like, I think he fully understood his parameters of welcome in which it's like, first of all, it wasn't his house anymore. He had moved out. Um, and Even though obviously, he still owned 50% of it, but yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But I think he was but like, he was very respectful about that. He yes. always, even, even if I knew he was coming over, he would always knock. Yep. Um, because I had also given him very strict instructions from the very first day that he moved out. I was like, you do not enter this house unless I'm home. Yeah. Like good. you have broken every trust that I have and you are not to enter this house without me here. And he always respected that unless I gave him express permission, like, no, today it's okay. So Yes. Again, yeah. I give credit where it's due. Yeah. I mentioned this on the other episode too, yep. but that was also what I said to you in advance. I was like, don't worry. He'll be very nice to you. And yeah. that's why he has, that, that was why he, he was able to get away with what he did for as long as he did mm-hmm. because he's so good at it. There yeah. were no shifty eyes. There was nothing suspicious. Like 
there, there wasn't any of the outward behavior of lying that we, that we look for, like the more stereotypical forms of lying that we tend to expect. There was none of that Mm -hmm. throughout our entire relationship, much less in the aftermath of. Right. Yeah. And so I do think it was a blessing in a very bizarre way for me to never have met him prior to that, because I absolutely could see how it would have potentially shifted my reality, right? Of like, he couldn't have done that, like him, no way. Um, And so I had none of that, but that, so I met him for all of 30 seconds, 60 seconds, if we're being generous. And I marched my, my happy ass back upstairs. And he said goodbye from that landing that you had. And uh, that was that. And you want to know what you guys, I just need to toot my own horn here. (laughs) I was so not crazy. And I want <laughs> that is true. I can vouch for that. I can hundred percent vouch for that. <laughs> you know, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, like I I have a lot of women at my gym. The kind of the running joke is like, oh, well, if I get a new boyfriend, I'm gonna bring him here and you can like put him through the ringer. And I think people are expecting for me to be like an uncaged animal. And I'm like, <laughs> if I need to be and if it makes sense, yes, I will uncage myself, but I can be a very upstanding adult, everybody, okay. <laughs> So any case, yes, I got to meet a uh, said individual and I didn't break. Well, you did not, you did not. But I think that we also need to, um, talk about the particular incident that happened three weeks after I broke up with him when was I called you from weeks? my car. Yeah, it was three weeks later. So he and I had, and and I I mentioned this on, on the other episode as well, but I didn't go into the details. So he and I had, had set a date and a time that we were going to meet at our house to go start getting some stuff for the renovations. And we had discussed this multiple times. He knew the date. We talked about it just like the day before and he stood me up. And I just had this gut reaction of he's at this other woman's house. I know that he's at this other woman's house. And I I had come across her address years prior. And by total accident, I honest to God was not looking for it. Uh, I didn't write it down anywhere, none of the above, but because I think my intuition was so strong about her, even though I was ignoring it all, it like steered itself into my brain. So I remembered where she lived and I decided that this needed to be a practice in me listening to my intuition. And I was like, okay, fine. I will go one time. And I, I like verbalized that promise to you as well. I was like, I need to make this promise not only to myself, but I need somebody to like witness this. I was like, I'm only going to go over there one time. And if I see what I think I'm going to see, it confirms what I already know is happening. Mm -hmm. And if he isn't there, then I will just accept it for what it is and continue to move forward. So I went and his truck was there (laughs) and it had been there all night because of the snowstorm the night before. And there were the drifts around it. He had been there all night. So I called you from my car. You sent me 911. Well, I think I called you first, but it wasn't going through. So then I texted you 911. I literally just, just texted you the numbers 911. And you called me back almost immediately. (laughs) And I was sitting in my car in front of this girl's house. <laughs> okay, this is where he gets hilarious. <laughs> and <laughs> I explained the situation to you. And then I was like, what the fuck do I do? I'm like, do I knock on the door and be like, oh, there you are? 
around and go home. And you're like, I think you should go home. I'm like, okay. So I go to pull out and I'd only been there for like five minutes, max, like tops, because this is how long you and I took to, to end up reaching each other in a flurry of 911 text messages. So I'm still on the phone with you. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, Christina, he's coming out of her house. And this is a very small, like dead end, narrow street. It, 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 so there, there was like nowhere for me to go. I was very visible from the house. And I'm like, what the fuck do I do? So I immediately ducked down behind the steering wheel and like practically on the floor of my car. And you're like, I'm like, sit up. <laughs> Dignify yourself. I think that's literally what I said. I said, get some I think dignity. That's literally what you sit said. Sit up straight. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. So I sat up straight and he's like taking his time brushing the snow off the car. And then he backs out and then he stops. And I'm like, oh my God, hey, there's no way he can't see me. For context, he was literally like 20 meters from me when he stopped. What is that in American distances? <clears throat> oh God. I think meters and yards are very close. So okay. It, okay. approximately like yards. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, it's about the same. And he stops and then gets out of the car to brush off more snow. And I was like, how is he not fucking seeing me right now? Like my car is right there. It's broad daylight. Yeah. And then he, he finishes brushing off the snow again gets back in the car and then drives past six inches in front of my vehicle with me sitting there. But even though I had my dignity and I was thanks to you and I was sitting up, I was like looking down and not looking directly at him as though that would somehow conceal me. I don't know. <laughs> but he, he had very like tunnel vision. I guess that's what happens with nine years of lies when you don't expect to see those two lives crossed paths yep. that he drove right past me. And I said, wait for it. I'm about to get a text message yep. and boop, text message came in. Oh, sorry. Um, my phone died in, in the cold. I was uh, shoveling snow at blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, really motherfucker. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not trying to like bash him, but it was just the reality of, of the time because you, Christina, had commented multiple times up to that point about my lack of anger. Mm, and yeah, oh, I forgot about that. Yes, and you were actually like calling me out on it. I, I have several of your text messages actually saved in the notes app on my phone because mm. you were like, go be fucking sad for now, but eventually you're going to get angry and you need to get angry. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I think you practically heard it in my voice. I was enraged. I switched from like sad and depressed and like what the fuck is happening to my life to like, I'm about to lose my bloody mind. Like <laughs> I am so angry right now. Like even though we were broken up and even though I was almost hundred percent sure that that like that that was still continuing on, that other relationship was still continuing on. It was the continuing to openly and blatantly lie to me. I'm like, really, if you're going to be with her, then just fucking be with her. But don't continue to lie to me even after we've broken up. Like, give me some dignity here. This is insane. And I think also, too, you actually witnessed what had been happening for nine years in real time. Like, you yes. saw it, you know? And I needed to. Yes. Yes. I you needed did. to see that. Yes. 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 And, you know, at the time, it was... And I don't, I can't quite remember how, how I was perceiving this, but I do remember the conversation 
once there was a little bit more time since said incident, said incident of the ex coming over, everything quite literally needed to unfold exactly how it did because it needed to blow up, unfortunately, right in front of your face. So that there was nothing and I said left that to for him question too. Yeah. Yes. And I said that to him at the time too. And, and a couple of times afterwards, I was like, honestly, I'm grateful that it grew, that it blew up the way that it did, because otherwise I still would have been hanging on to threads of hope. Like there's no way that he could have done this. There's, there's no way that this, this, or this part of the story are true. It needed to blow up exactly the way it did. Everything that has happened in the last eight months happened exactly the way it needed to. And it has taken every fucking ounce of my patience. It has taken every ounce of everything that I have, but I cannot explain how worth it is. Like, I can't even explain. And, and I think that that's the only reason why eight months in, I feel as good as I do. Because even like a month ago, um, when I was leaving my house and everything else, I was, I was having a tough time. I was sending you messages and I'm like, I'm struggling right now. Like, I'm, I'm hurting. Like, this is, this is hard. And not even... At that point, it wasn't even like about the relationship. It was about the like, just my life as I know it is over. Like I have to leave this house that I love, like all of these different things. Every aspect of my life is changing all at once and I'm having a tough time. And it was like, as soon as I stepped off the plane in Bali, I'm like, well, done with that. And it shocked me. It actually shocked me where I was like, it felt like coming to Bali accelerated my healing almost instant instantaneously. And I wasn't expecting it. I knew that, it, that I needed to be here. I could feel my energy being pulled here, but I wasn't expecting it to, to switch as quickly as it did. But I also want to remind you that it was eight months of like, not quick healing though, you know, totally so for people listening, you know, it sounds like, Oh, like she sold the house and just got to Bali and was fine. Like no, like that is not true at all. Not true at all to the point where I can remember. So I visited you in February mm -hmm. and I'll never forget. And this is so interesting that you and I are friends. <laughs> crying, crying people make me very uncomfortable. <laughs> I've cried so fucking much to you in the last eight months. <laughs> like buckets to you in the last eight months. You would send me an audio message. This isn't, it was not funny at the time. <laughs> and you would have to, you would start bawling and you'd be like, hold on. <laughs> it's true. That happened so many times. So many times. And sometimes <laughs> I'd have to wait hours for the follow-up message because I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> There was one of our longest phone calls, not, not our longest phone call. One of our longest phone calls was three hours long. And I shit you not. I think you cried the entire time, like the entire yeah. time. Um, and again, it was very important for me to be like, okay, Christina, you are uncomfortable, but this shit is not about you. So stop it. You know? Um, Cause it wasn't about me, you know? So I've gotten less uncomfortable with people crying because it's been a <laughs> I had no or choice. maybe just me <laughs> but I'll Jesus, never forget she's crying again <laughs> in February we had just finished eating dinner at your um your dining room table 
everything was fine. Like we did not have a, a sad day. Like everything was great. And seemingly out of nowhere, I watched you turn into a, like a puddle and just literally curl into a ball on your chair. Like I will never forget that. And the juxtaposition of how you've come alive since then is amazing to witness from, from my side of the ocean, if you will. Um, you curled into a ball and you said, I want to go into a hole and stay there for a very long time. Like that was that your, your emotional, um, tendency to isolate was like mm-hmm. happening right in front of me. Um, and so when, when people listening are listening to you say, I hopped off the plane and was immediately better. Oh no, no. <laughs> Let us not forget the amount of shit that you first of all allowed yourself to feel which I think is a huge part of healing right of like okay so I cry for six months you know um and that like allowing yourself to to not be okay I think that was a big part for you um it's okay to not be okay and that was almost a year eight months of you not being okay so I think it's important for us to remind people that like, it's not like you just booked a trip and we're like, I'm fine now out of nowhere. You did like, I think you did your due diligence in terms of like mourning and like, God, just getting through all that. Well, and then when we found out about the house, (laughs) 170 meters from our driveway yards for all you Americans, they're very close. So 170 yards then from our driveway, Hold on, you you have to back this story, back the story up. Yes. So, (laughs) oh my God, because there's so many details. Uh, The other woman had mentioned to me multiple times or in multiple messages, I guess, talked about this house that was on the street that intersected with ours, but it's a very long street. So there, it, it was going to be difficult to figure out which house it was. He would not admit to it. He would not give me any details. He was denying it. I was like, frankly, she has no fucking reason to lie about that at this point. Like, I definitely take her word over yours about this. So I dug and I dug and it took three months and I finally figured out which house it was. And it was 170 meters from our driveway. And he had taken her to that house before. That house was owned, purchased four years earlier by a close family member of his. But the rest of the family didn't even know about it. It was a secret between like him and, and that family member. And I think that it had been rented out to tenants at one point, but I don't, I don't really know. Anyway, he was living there. He'd been living there since a couple of weeks after I had broken up with him, but hiding his vehicle. He had done renovations on that house. We walked by that house every day for years um, and commented on the renovations that he was secretly doing. And I didn't know, like it, it was, it was messed up. That was the, I think that was the second day where I was enraged, like full blown enraged. <laughs> so it was those two particular days where I was out for blood. Basically I, I was beside myself. Uh, I did punch a wall that day um, and I bruised the shit out of my hand and then I decided to go boxing instead. Of course, my house was 80 years old. So the house is like made of plaster as opposed yeah. to drywall. It didn't even like notice that I punched it. Whereas like my hand was black for a week and a half afterwards, but whatever. Um, I, I was beside myself. So that was a whole situation. 
the the house that was so close. And what was my point in bringing this part of it up? Well, I mean, how ridiculous it was and like looking. Okay, well, yes. So, okay. So like, I remember being like, Emily, shit's going to get worse before it gets better. There's no way that there's not more stuff that's going to come up. There's no way, no way. And when, when you sent me the, the audio message of how close, so we had been going back and forth about this house, the house, the house, the house. And we're like, where is this house? And oh my God. And all this speculation. Oh. And when you sent me the audio <laughs> message of like, it's literally 170 meters away from my house. Like he, the only thing that could have been more messed up than that is that it's right next door. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and the only reason why I couldn't even see it from our driveway is only because the street jagged just slightly. Otherwise, you could see the house from our driveway, like from our living room. <laughs> what, so then, I, like, it wasn't so then, funny. This, this, is, this is where it gets even crazier. So then he, once, I, I gave him a few weeks and finally I confronted him at the house because yeah. originally you and I had come up with a plan that I was just going to because there were some financial concerns here because okay. he was holding some of the financial reins and I was worried. I was very worried about that throughout this entire process. And that was one of our number one concerns and was protecting that. So I didn't want to rock the boat too much. As much as I was enraged, I didn't want to push too hard. Um, so initially when I found out in March, I was going to try and sit on that until our closing date of our house which was still months away. I made it three weeks, which I commend myself for, frankly. <laughs> like sitting in that for three weeks is a big fucking deal for me, okay? <laughs> Something that big, Jesus. So I, I still walked by that house every day because there was like no other route for me to go and I go for a walk every day. So I was walking by the house every day, trying not to stare at the fact that I knew he was living there and hiding. Anyway, I confronted him there the one day because he was being blatant about it and it was just, he was being ballsy and I was like, no, this no longer deserves to be a secret. Like, I can't keep this in. Um, he was livid with me, livid with me um, that I had found out about it. But after a certain period of time, he stopped hiding his vehicle and then it got to the point that he would be cutting the lawn Mm -hmm. at that house and I would walk by and we would have a conversation and then I'd be like well this is fucking weird he's like yep it is and I'd be like see ya and I'd keep walking it, it was like next level fucked up <laughs> just next level yeah I I remember all the calculations of like okay don't say this because the sale of the house and the financial situation of like the future like we can't screw this up. <laughs> Don't screw this up. And do you remember how often that was like kind of the, the tone of the conversation of like, Oh yeah. But if I do this, then this might happen. And that's going to screw up the sale of the house or, you know, um, it was pure strategy. We were skating yeah. on strategy for like six months and yeah. I never thought that I would have to live my life that way because I never want to be in any situation that I feel controlled by the finances. Right. It I, never. And, and it, that, that has always been one of my worst nightmares. 
And so then to end up in that situation, I was like, are you kidding me? Like the one situation I've always stri- striven, strode, <laughs> wait, what am I? Strived. I, I'm saying the word, strive, strive, strive. Is that a word? <laughs> the, the one situation that I've like always strived to never find myself in, I landed myself in. And I'm like, well, it's the worst case scenario on basically every possible level. Put your fucking boots on and let's do this. Like, you're going to have to figure this out because there's no getting around it. So if you can make it through this, I think more than once I said to you, I was like, I feel emotionally bulletproof at this point. Yep. I feel fucking bulletproof. If I can make it through this, hand me whatever you've got because I can deal with it. <laughs> Can't get any more fucked up than this. I mean, <laughs> Jesus. God. There was something while you were saying, I'll never, okay, you and I had a, stri- a strategy call and it, we were like, okay, don't say anything about this. And you were like, he's, he's coming over. He's coming over in an hour. And two hours from then, you sent me a text message. You were like, I suck. I said everything. <laughs> Do you remember what that I was did, about? No, you know what I said? I texted you. I was like, well, that didn't fucking go well. <laughs> and you're like, well, I guess you didn't hold it in afterwards. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's regroup. <laughs> what was that about? You're like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't hold it in. That was when I found him at her house. And then he, when he lied to me, but then he came over right afterwards because he's like, oh, I'll still come over and we can figure out the renovations. And I'm like, okay, fine. And you were like, Emily, don't say anything. Like, let him dig his own grave. I'm like, okay. And then I very casually asked him when he came over, I was like, so explain to me again why, we're, why you were two hours late this morning. And he gave me the same excuse. And I just kept pushing. And finally, I like exploded with it. And then he went out of the house enraged, like slammed the door. And I texted you. I'm like, well, that didn't fucking go well. <laughs> New plan. But I, but I remember you being like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't not bring it up. what a ride I just ah what a ride I mean for anyone who's been listening to Emily's podcast since December like, do you know how hard it is? You guys, like, I just need to like put you on a little bit of a, a soapbox for a second and like oh, highlight you. <laughs> this is what we mean when we say, like, I, I think it was our last episode, our last joint episode that went out about the, the, the truth about entrepreneurship and the stuff that you don't see and the stuff that we can't talk about. Like, unfortunately, much to a lot, much to anyone who's a solopreneur, the show must go on. Do you know how hard it is to record? podcast episodes, um, come up with, you know, content for your captions and your stories when your life has completely like when stuff like this happens, I mean, and there's a reason why, which maybe you can shed some light on, on why you didn't just grab a microphone and start recording about all this stuff eight months ago. Yeah. And, and that was because I knew very early on that I would end up talking about this. I knew, in fact, I knew this the night that it happened on Christmas Eve. She finally left. I shut and locked the door and he looked at me and he said, I think I just gave you your first book. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. 
I literally knew the moment that she left, I was like, this is going to be, but, but not because I was trying to, it, it, it's, it's never been about, you know, trying to shove somebody under the bus. It's that for me, this has been like the final, not, not the final part of my healing because there's always more healing to do, but it, the, the final most integral part of my healing that I need to be able to speak my truth because I've been living lies for nine years without even knowing it. And by me keeping this in any longer will continue to be more of a lie. And I cannot lie anymore. Not that I thought that I was lying for nine years, but I, I am somebody who shows up in a really genuine, authentic way. And that is so crucial to me as part of my own identity. So to find out about all of these things that were going on behind my back and without my knowledge was shattering like to my own identity too, not even as the, the shame of infidelity and, and, and the sense of unworthiness and all of that. It was like, I'm an incredibly honest person. So to find out about all of this that was happening, I feel like I have been lying to people as well without even realizing it. So I had to come forward. It it wasn't even an option for me. I'm like, I am coming forward. Yeah. I know that I am. Yeah. And he was, he, he has been aware of that since day one that, that I was coming forward. He knows, he has known since the beginning that I was going to be speaking about this openly. We talked about it at length and he said, you know, you have to do what you have to do. He's like, I'm never going to try and stop you about that. I'm like, okay, well, it wasn't going to work anyway, but. (laughs) But do you remember, I'll never forget when we were discussing like, how are you going to release this? Like, when are you going to release it? And, you know, we were, you know, kind of figuring out like, like, should you do that? You know, just kind of all the kind of deliberation around it more is like, we're both podcast hosts. We're both business owners. So kind of like from that perspective. And I remember being like, if you didn't want a freaking podcast episode released about you, then don't do stupid shit. How about that? Like, you know, well, and there's like, there's, there's an actual, I can't remember the exact quote. Oh God, I'm the worst. I can't even remember the person who said the quote, but there's something about if you, if you don't want to speak, if you don't want to be spoken about poorly, you shouldn't have behaved badly in the first place. Yeah. Essentially. Yep. And that's pretty true. Like, you know, you, you can't, you can't treat people a particular way and, and cross all of their boundaries and destroy trust and, and do some pretty shitty stuff and not expect some consequences. And the problem is, is that I think that once you get caught in a life of lies, those lies continue to escalate and the lies become lies upon lies upon lies upon lies. And you go from thinking about how to manage the lies, you know, a year from now down to a month from now, down to a week from now. And then I think that it had hit the point where it was literally second by second. He was living second by second and he was putting out every fire as it came up on either side or however many sides there were. Um, because that's what happens when you've told that many lies for that length of time, they consume you. Yeah. There, there's no other way to handle it. Can you really quickly talk about, I don't know if, if lesson is the right word, but this differentiation between trusting yourself over trusting someone else. So I kind of that trusting. like that like intuition piece kind of. Yes. <clears throat> so I'm I'm a very trusting person. And 
I think that that was partly why it hurt so much because the other reason is too, is that I had been cheated on briefly a couple times before, but they're very short-term, like I'm talking very short-term relationships. There was never a big thing. And part of what attracted me to this particular man was that he struck me as the type to never do that ever in a thousand years. Like he was the golden boy who would never do that to me. So that was an especially significant crash to earth. Um, and relearning to listen to your own intuition because I, I was, I was having, I was never an anxious person when we started dating. And to some degree, I think that anxiety does come a little bit with age because we start to have more to lose. And, but it had, it had escalated for me to such a significant degree that especially in the last year, my anxiety had reached virtually crippling heights. Like I was struggling. My stomach was in knots all the time. It had gotten to the point by like about a month for, I would say like the last couple months before Christmas last year, I would lie in bed and, and try to breathe to like release my stomach from being clenched. And I realized that I could no longer unclench it. Like it was so badly just in knots all the time that I, I had lost the ability to even release it. And when I broke up with him within days, it suddenly occurred to me that that was gone that my body was completely relaxed, even though I was heartbroken and I, I wasn't breathing properly. Like I, I literally was like forgetting how to breathe. Um, my body was virtually completely relaxed compared to what it had been before. And all the anxiety had lifted, my period regulated like almost immediately. Like it, it was just insane the way that our bodies speak to us on such a deep level. And when we ignore all those symptoms, we're not tuning in to what's really going on. And that's going to look different for everyone, by the way, like everyone's intuition speaks to them in different ways, but it's about listening to it and tuning some other things out to really listen to that inner voice. But it's hard because sometimes we mistake intuition for insecurity. Mm. And that's what I was doing. I was like, Oh, well, you know, this feeling is coming up, but it's clearly just my insecurity. That's my problem to deal with, not his. So I'm going to go work through this figure out my shit so that I don't project garbage onto him. And then I would work through my insecurity. I would figure it out. And then I would be like, do you trust him? Don't you? Yes, you trust him. Moving, moving on. And when you came to the conclusion of trust, it was so much so that it wiped away any of the, the doubts or what you were writing off as insecurity over intuition. For the most part, like there were, again, there were like a couple specific situations that never quite left me. And, and he knew it again, this is, these are things that we communicated about, but he still always had like a reason or an excuse or a, you're just going to have to trust me on this. Like he, he was relying on this innate trust that I had in him Yep. and it worked really well. It, it works to his advantage because I did trust him on such a deep level that I was trusting his words over my gut. Right. Do you feel now that there's a way to balance that? Like how can, or maybe you can only speak for yourself because it's so new and I didn't even realize I was going to ask you this question. Um, (laughs) Balancing your intuition and trusting someone else. What might that look like? It's a hard, I feel, I feel like I would be better equipped to answer it in, in a new relationship. 
Okay. Um, because I think that that's something that is going to have to come with the practice of balancing it with another person. Mm. When, when you're, when you're just doing it on your own, it's very easy to only listen to your intuition because you don't have someone else throwing other info at you that isn't lining up with your own gut. So it's easy to do when, when you only have you to listen to, I think it's going to be a lot harder for me, at least initially in my next relationship, but that's why I'm putting so much work in now to figure it out and to get really comfortable with listening to my intuition so that I can better differentiate between the two. I I think that it does look different for everyone, but I also think that as much as I refuse to take unhealed trauma into my next relationship or my dating life or whatever. Um, and I have been and continue to work really hard on that with professionals. I think that we all will still always have trauma that we carry into our next relationship. And that that's actually a gift because that's where a lot of that trauma, that remaining trauma can be healed. If you're with the right person. Yeah. If you're not with the right person, then it's just going to cause even more issue. But if you're with the right person, you can help each other heal and grow and trust and, and learn all of those things together. It's like, I keep envisioning dancing, right? Like to your point about navigating intuition plus trusting someone else. You're right. You bring up a great point. It's like salsa dancing alone versus salsa dancing with a partner. You're like, oh my God, like it's a completely different dynamic um, because it's not just your stuff. It's also figuring out a synergy with somebody else's stuff. Um, And I think I keep thinking of people learning how to dance together. That's very different, but that's really what a relationship is. And it's got to be with the right person, right? Like you could put all the work into your salsa dancing lessons. And if your partner ain't putting in the salsa dancing work, the dance is going to be a shit show. Um, what a weird analogy, <laughs> but it makes sense, right? It works. It works. It, it totally it works. Yeah. yeah. I also yeah. want to highlight for everyone listening. I want to be like, listen to Emily's words. Do you hear how <laughs> Emily, you are not you're already putting in the work for a relationship that doesn't even exist yet. Whereas I think a very readily available low level reaction is, and I'd like your thoughts on this, on this evolution of your healing so far of like, I am never going to be in another relationship again as a, as an affirmation, not as a fear. Does that make sense? Um, Explain it to me a slightly different way because I'm, I'm not sure exactly what you mean about I'm never going to be a relationship again as an affirmation. Um, in me like comforting yourself with that, like I'm never going to, I'm never going to deal with someone else's bullshit. I'm just going to be single for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like mean? I am like, not like, Oh, I'm never going to find love again. Not that, but pe- like women who go through shit and I've done it before in previous relationships where our relationship blew up in my face. I thought it was going to be, you know, the man that I married. And at that time I was like, screw it. Like I am never going to open myself up to heartbreak again. So I'm going to be single for the rest of my life as an affirmation, not as like a, Oh, I'm unlovable kind of a thing. Um, it, that's a really great question, actually. Um, interestingly, as much as infidelity brought up so much shame for me and like unworthiness and all of these things that we, that we often, like anyone who's ever dealt with infidelity, I think feels a, a lot of those things. That's a very common thread. 
I think I also recognized surprisingly quickly, like I think I actually, even looking back now, I'm actually shocked that I think I picked this up this quickly. Again, the story and the shit that I went through was so dramatic that I was like, I am so undeserving of this and I deserve so much better than this. And I am actually surprised that I recognized that so early on, but I think that part of that stems from, I put in so much work into that relationship and so much trust and, and so much support and just an absolute, every ounce of compassion that I had that I'm like, damn, with the right person, imagine what a beautiful fucking thing that's going to be. Yeah. Like for me to be able to provide all of those, all of those qualities that I really like about myself and that I'm able to, to give, imagine how amazing that's going to make someone else feel and, and make me feel in return with the right individual. And I deserve to have that. So my first thought, I, I never had the thought of like, I'm never getting into another relationship again. I have had thoughts about how am I going to trust again? Mm. That has definitely come up more than once. Um, and it, I think that will continue to come up because I'm, I'm probably always going to be a little bit sensitive about the infidelity thing. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that I'm never going to trust another partner. I, I'm not going to allow that to happen, but I think that sometimes it might take a little bit more work on my end to deal with my own shit around that because we, we just, we're all always going to have triggers, but there are some triggers that can be worked out with another partner. And there are other triggers that you can't expect that other person, even if they are Mr. or Mrs. Right to take that on for you. Yeah. You still have to figure that shit out on your own. Again, that sort of com comes back to like the, the, projecting unhealed trauma onto somebody else. You can't do that. Mm -mm. You have to work that shit out. And this is why I think I struggle when I see you and I've had this conversation several times in the last few months. When I see people go from one relationship into another without any period of time in between, um, I'm talking literally like a couple weeks or like a month, maybe nice. two months. And they jump right in after like a long-term relationship. I'm like, Jesus, like, if, if the right person came along tomorrow for me, eight months in, surprisingly, I think I would be okay with it. But if you had asked me that even a month ago, I don't think I would have said that. It's only because I feel like my healing has accelerated since I physically left that situation to such a degree that like, if I, if I met the right person tomorrow, I think I'd be like, okay, I'm still working on some things, but yeah, I think I, I think I could do this. And a right partner though, and you would know this, and I think this is what you're alluding to, a, uh, the right partner would still allow you that space to continue to heal in, even while in a new partnership. Yes. Yes. Which I think is important. And it's not to say, exactly. And it, it's not to say that people are wrong. You know, sometimes timing is just crazy. And like, you do meet the right person like a month in, and it all happens to work out. I just think that, that sometimes we end up seeing those relationships materialize out of more of a sense of fear of being alone than anything else. Yeah. yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah. So for anyone listening who doesn't 
either have the the resources or the desire or for whatever reason can't just hop on a plane and you know travel the world in order to accelerate their healing I, you've said a few times you know accelerate my healing um what what are some like at home accelerate your healing <laughs> things um or resources or avenues that that you can provide our listeners um from your perspective, I also want to say that all of us have healing to do. So whether or not you've never been, um, never been cheated on, never been lied to, all of us have healing to do. Would you agree? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. All of us. And, and all the time, like you, yeah. you never hit an end point with the healing. There's always going to be more healing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Okay. But no, that's, that's a great question. And I have been really careful to make sure that I'm being really inclusive about that because I fully recognize like how fucking privileged I am that I'm able to do this. I wake up every day and I'm like, Jesus, I'm in Bali. Like what? (laughs) Um, and how, how unusual that is. So I am, I am extremely fortunate to be an exception to the rule. This is not something that, uh, a lot of people are able to do, but that's okay because there's so many other things that you can do for yourself. I, I would, if I was still in Hamilton right now, I would be trying out new classes. I Mm. would be meeting new people, like pushing myself outside of my comfort zone as much as possible. I was telling you before I got on that, even though I've only been here in Bali for a month, I can already feel myself getting pulled into little habits. And there's something very comforting about habits. And I'm, I'm very much a creature of routine, but then I'm also reminding myself sometimes I'm like, no, like you want to meet new people and stuff. Don't get stuck going to the, you know, the same restaurant every day or going to the same place or doing the same thing like every single day we can get into habits anywhere and there's nothing wrong with habits they can be really supportive of us in a lot of ways but when you're trying to heal sometimes discomfort it sounds counterintuitive but discomfort can be the best possible thing for that because it's going to help you learn to trust yourself again yep, exactly and to really understand that you can walk through the fire and survive and get through to the other side and that you're fine. And you know what? Wow. Like I could handle that better than I thought. Even if it's like a new workout class, I was a trainer for years and I I'm very well versed in like the health and wellness space. And I walk into a new gym and it's still intimidating to me. I'm like, I don't know anybody. I'm awkward as fuck. I don't know what to do. (laughs) So it's, that doesn't, that doesn't change. Like whenever we, we throw ourselves into new circumstances, it's always going to be scary, but that's okay. That's a good thing. Especially when you're trying to heal, you need to learn to trust yourself again. I think that that's one of the the biggest cores of healing is learning to trust and figuring that out. And, and the other thing that I want to say too, is seeking professional help. Mm because that can be done anywhere as well. So I was working with a therapist the, these entire like past seven months. And when I left Hamilton, I had already set it up so that as soon as I left Hamilton, um, I have been working, uh, online with like a personal development slash relationship coach. So she and I have calls regularly as well. And one of the really common threads that has come through therapy and with her is kind of what you mentioned earlier, Christina, about really allowing yourself to feel what you're feeling and to not push it down. Because sometimes I'd be sitting in a counseling session and I would be trying to talk to my therapist and I would start to cry and I would like try to hold it in. And she's like, why are you holding it in? She's like, why are you holding it in? 
just let it out. She's like, unless you're in a situation where you really can't address that emotion in that mm-hmm. moment, she's like, then fine, hold it in, but then let it, let it out as soon as possible. Yeah. Like, even if it means you have to like go to your car and like cry and then go back into work or something like that, let it out as quickly as you can, because otherwise it's just going to keep building up and it's just going to eat you alive. So you have to really feel that emotion. And again, that's something that that can be done absolutely anywhere. And I think, you know, as you're, well, first of all, we all know that I have my, my issue with emotions, but I'm seeing a therapist and I'm working on it, blah, blah, blah. That's very important. (laughs) I also think perspective is really big. So I, I'm going to use myself as an example. When I, when my ex and I were living together for 10 months, it was awful while you were broken up, you mean? While we were broken up. That's that was hell, all, by the way. It was awful. I slept on a couch. I, I can't imagine. I slept on a couch for 10 months while strange women were traipsing through my home. So it was oh awful. It was awful. Like, I cannot. But as soon as he moved out, I, I thought I was going to die. Like, I really – and you and I spoke about that. You know, you had days where you're like, I literally can't do this. Um, and once it had kind of settled a bit – it was like a, an energy that I couldn't control. I changed everything in my house. I repainted the walls. I changed the doorknobs. I, I only have a two bedroom home. I switched the bed from one room to the other. Like I wanted, every, I, I got a new chandelier for my bathroom. I went to TJ Maxx and bought new throw pillows and blankets and candle holders, like anything to be like, I'm reclaiming this space because I, I couldn't get on a plane and move. I couldn't um, I didn't want to sell my home and start over. Now I, I know some, and I want you to weigh in on this. For me, that perspective was like a big, scary, no less exhale. And it sounds cliche, but I was like exhaling the sigh of relief and then chose from a very empowering, still scary place to like create myself anew. Like this is my bed. This is my room now. This is a brand new doorknob. I know that sounds silly, but I got beautiful doorknobs that I love. Um, This is a new anything, just little things to be like, you're okay. This is your home. Everything's fine. And the perspective was big instead of like, like, why do I have to, to live here alone? And that's where the healing comes in because it wasn't one day to the next. And did I still cry myself to sleep sometimes? Of course. Um, But choosing to pull myself out of that hole. Weigh in on that for us, this choice. And I call it like, we can either make love with our bitterness or we can choose to get better. What are your, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, such a good question. Um, something that I, that I don't think has come up on this particular episode yet and I, I am, I am going to get to your point is that this other woman was also driving by our house regularly for months, months and months and months. And I didn't know about it, but he did. Um, so even if I had been remaining in Hamilton, I would not have remained in that house no matter what, because I no longer felt safe in that house. And even when you came to visit me, you, and you noticed this, that I would only sit in one specific place on the couch where I could see all three doors. And right after, um, I ended things with him and everything else, I was doing that subconsciously. And then I would try to sit somewhere else. And I, I wasn't actually putting the dots together. I couldn't figure out why I, why I 
I felt so anxious if I sat anywhere but that one spot. Mm-hmm. And I finally put the dots together that I felt so fucking unsafe that I had to sit in one spot in my house where I could see every door. Um, so I would never have stayed in that house anyway. So I commend you for, for staying there. If the circumstances had been different, I would have considered still staying in the house. But the other thing that I did when I left, not only did I sell the house, I got rid of virtually all of my possessions. Everything is gone. My car, all of the furniture. Um, I, I sold the car. I gave everything we had essentially to him except for some kitchen things because I love to cook and that stuff can be sterilized. (laughs) Uh, And I basically just, because for me, I also, I left the engagement ring. Uh, I didn't tell him I was going to do that. He told me to keep the engagement ring and I'm like, I want nothing to do with it. With the day that I left to come to Bali, I left it at the house. Yeah. I was like, no, because to me, there's energy in those types of things. And I don't want any of that energy following me. I'm done with that energy. I want nothing to do with it. And I think that it's really important to, and again, that can be costly. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say to people, you know, like get rid of everything you own and start fresh, you know, like go into debt to try and buy furniture. I don't mean that. There are little changes that you can make. Like when you were talking about things like a new doorknob or something like that, or like a new light fixture here or there, Mm -hmm. there are small steps that you can take, but it's absolutely a choice to continue to remain bitter. Yeah. Because if you keep focusing on, on a regretful past or a shitty present, you're never going to be able to see what's ahead of you in the future. And you have to create something to look forward to. Even if that means something like, saving for a trip. Again, I'm not talking Bali. It could be like a weekend away. Um, you know, making plans with girlfriends, like finding little ways to put something in your calendar that you can look forward to in the future, whether it's three days from now or three months from now, it doesn't matter. Something to look forward to, to pull you out of the past. You can't stay stuck in the past because life is going to continue to move forward with or without you. And if you don't get on the train, it's going to run you over Yeah. and you're just going to stay stuck and miserable and tied to the rails. Yep. So you have to continue to look forward and to accept that a lot of the things that have happened to you have happened for you. Mm. They've happened for you. And if you don't find the purpose and the lessons to pull out of it, it will fucking suck. You will absolutely just be bitter all, all the time. And it would, it would probably be very easy for me to be bitter about it, but I don't see it that way. I actually see it as much harder to remain bitter about it. And like, why would I saddle myself with that? Why would I, why would I live stuck in that energy? When, if I look ahead, I can see so many fucking cool things in my future and so many things that I want from life that I would never have been able to achieve, have, or do when I was attached to him yep. ever. And I'm talking even like relatively basic things too. In yep. fact, I want to bring this up quickly. <laughs> I mentioned again, so it, everyone just go back and listen to, to the other episode that I did a couple of weeks ago explaining a lot of this. But one of the things that I talked about was having children and that he and I had planned to have children in a few months. And I'm going to give this its own podcast episode because Christina, you and I have also talked about this at length. One of the issues that I have with that is that 
I'm not 100% sure that I want children. However, I'm a little bit ambivalent about it. And I had a lot yeah. of fear around that the last few months. And I said that to my, my counselor and I discussed that at length. And I was like, what does this mean? Like, everybody told me that I would like turn 30 and then have the, the fucking baby gene. And I'm almost 33 and it hasn't happened yet. Like, it's not that I don't want kids necessarily, but I'm also like, I don't know that I do want them either. Mm-hmm. And I said, the reason why I thought that I did, and I was actually getting genuinely excited about it was because he really wanted kids. And I was like, I feel like that's not okay to, to my counselor. I was like that I can't make that decision on my own. And she kind of actually calmed my fears a little bit about that because she's like, I think it's actually okay to be ambivalent about that. She's like, and, and to allow yourself to not be influenced by a partner per se, but to make that decision together as a couple, if it's the right person. And that actually really calmed me a lot because I was like, Oh my God, I said I was going to have kids with like this other dude. And now that I'm not with him, like, I don't want kids. What, what is going on? And she's like, but it's, it's okay. She's like, you know, maybe you end up with a guy that doesn't want kids and then you'll probably just swing farther to that side of the fence because you're already a little bit on that side anyway. And it'll be fine. She's like, maybe you end up with a guy who's the best guy ever. And he really wants kids. And you're like, wow, you know what? It'd be really cool to have kids with you. And then you have kids with him. She's like, it's, it's fine. Either way, you are allowed to be ambivalent about it. And that was just like a huge sense of relief for me. So for anyone who is on the fence about that particular issue, as I have been, I don't want you to feel bad about that. And I want you to, I want to normalize that a little bit because when it was normalized for me, it was huge sigh of relief that it's okay to like not necessarily know everything and to like have all of the specific answers that goes very much off the rails of like what we were talking about with bitterness. I just wanted to, to say that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's good. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm totally ambivalent about kids too, or whatever that's worth. Um, totally. (laughs) And I think it is partner dependent and that's almost a separate conversation altogether, but it is partner dependent. Um, so I very much so agree with you. You know, if you find a partner that really wants kids and you're like, oh my gosh, you'd be a, a great father and I'd love to have kids with you, then great. And if you'd rather not, then oh my God. I mean, I, at this point, it doesn't take much to talk me out of having children. So I'm kind of like really far one way, but whatever. Um, no, and the reason well, why, I, go ahead. Well, sorry. I think I was going to say, I think the reason why that came to mind with the bitterness was like, if I was stuck to like, oh my God, I was going to have children with him. And like, now that's been torn from me. And for some women that would be absolutely devastating. And I am not trying to lessen that in any possible way. Just for me in particular, that was why I want to kind of explain like, that's why I I wasn't bitter about like that particular aspect of it either. Yeah. I think for me, I remember up until... I don't want to say fairly recently, but you know, the story that I was telling myself was that my ex was the one who got away and I had to make a choice to stop telling myself that story and look at the facts. And real, I, I truly, truly feel that staying bitter is a choice. It doesn't make the, the horror and the tragedy different or less or any like less significant and the trauma, it doesn't take away any of that, but I think choosing to stay bitter is a choice. Um, even if you've been wronged like you, like there's no question about, um, 
like, oh, gee, Emily, like, were you the victim or not? Like, the answer is yes. Like, this shit is real and it happened and you were in a horrible position. And I just really, I can't, I can't do it enough. Um, the choice that you've made and will likely have to continue to make for quite some time. Cause again, I don't think you just arrive at this, like, I'm not bitter anymore. Um, it's very much so a choice because could, could you imagine how different of a place you'd be in? Not necessarily just physically, but mentally, if you were choosing, like I said, to like choosing to like get in bed with the bitterness. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked what you said too, about like the feeling like, they're, they're the one that got away. Um, Mark Groves of, uh, create the love on Instagram. Uh, make sure to go check out his handle. Cause he has some really great stuff. Um, actually the coach I'm working with works under him mm-hmm. and he talks about that a lot that if, if the relationship, you know, blew up or didn't work out or whatever, they weren't the one. Right. So they weren't the one that then they therefore weren't the one that got away. So when you release that story, and I think that that's the other reason why it was actually really beneficial for me to have this blow up in the way it did, because it was extremely obvious from day one that he was not the one that got away. He was the one that I needed to get away from. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a big damn difference. So I, again, I was like very fortunate in so many ways that this blew up the way that it did, because it, it actually made a lot of things simpler even though it was like ridiculous over the top dramatic, like Hollywood level bullshit, it actually made a lot of decisions for me. Very simple, very easy and very simple. Yeah. I also really quickly want to highlight that the first text message that you sent me. So this is how quick that first iteration of evolution happened. I believe, and this is a paraphrase, the last sentence of that paragraph on December 26th was, I'm not sure if or how we're going to get through this. And Mm. I remember thinking, what the fuck do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) We're not getting, and of course I'm, I feel like I'm like me, like, aren't I in a relationship with you guys? I'm thinking we're not getting (laughs) through this. We're getting out of it, Emily. (laughs) Come on. And I think your initial reaction again, from this place of like relentless trust and love for your, uh, for him. I think that you, even for a millisecond, although I think longer was like, can we get through this? And, and I mentioned this in the other episode too, that like, there was about a 48 hour period where initially I was like, no, no, we're done. And then I was like, wait, but and there were various reasons as to why, and I, I go through them a little bit in the other episode, but one of them was, you know, time invested. Mm. Um, I, I loved him. I thought, how, how could we just have this end? Part of what changed it was that you got that message earlier on Boxing Day. And again, in my heart, I still knew that we were not going to get through it. Um, I knew my intuition well enough at that point to still even recognize that much. But she sent me even more messages and screenshots later that night that disproved things that he had been telling me for the previous 48 hours too. (laughs) So it just continued. And I was like, Oh my God, you've continued to lie to me even the last 48 hours. Like, are you kidding? I'm like, bye. Yeah. And he packed up his stuff and left. Yeah. Because I was like, no, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. 
we, we are done. You have crossed my very last boundary, like boundaries that I didn't even know I needed to have yeah. have now been crossed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I remember that. I remember I was like, oh, she's going to try and work through this. And I remember this was, I felt like a shitty friend. Cause I'm thinking, I don't know if I can stand by. I don't know if I can see this through as your friend, if you stay like and no fucking you. way, you know, I don't and, blame not, you. and not even from like a selfish place. Cause like, it doesn't affect me, but I'm thinking, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to be like, tell me about your day or whatever, knowing that you're enduring this, you know? Yeah. Um, no way. And then again, I guess it was two days later, the, the total, the tides had completely changed. And there's been a lot of very quick, if we think about it within eight months, the amount of times that the tides have changed has been incredible. I mean, and honestly, it didn't feel like it at the time. And I, and I'm saying this from a third party perspective, it felt insane. Um, but now eight months later, it's like, almost like a total turning point of like the other end of the tunnel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it has, it, it's been really interesting because somebody said to me the other day, you know, you've been incredibly patient with all of this. And I was like, I haven't fucking felt patient. That's for damn sure. I've been like clawing at the door. Like, is this shit done yet? <laughs> and some of the posts that for anyone who goes and looks at my Instagram, at, at least two or three of those posts, that I have come out with about this were written at the beginning of January. And I, I really want to highlight that. Like that's how long I had been prepared to come out with this. And for anyone who thinks that those posts were written from a place of a huge amount of distance, it's this weird conundrum because even though it was so fresh and so new, I could somehow see how I was going to feel once I got onto the other side of it. And I wrote those posts in that frame of mind. Yeah. And then I probably reverted to calling you Craig. <laughs> you and I have single-handedly supported the iPhone audio message this year. Like this year alone, we already did it a ton last year, but this year alone, we have sent each other probably hundreds of hours worth of audio messages. <laughs> I guarantee that Apple pulls reports and goes, you know, we were going to get rid of this feature, but the, these two phones are providing 99.9% of the usage. So in wrapping up, I think this has been our longest joint episode to date by a long shot, right? Don't it definitely think? has. Yeah. yeah. We do not usually do episodes this long. For anyone who's new to the podcast, these are usually about an hour. So this is definitely unusual. <laughs> but we had to, for, you know, in our defense, we had to cover at least eight months worth of stuff. And yes. this is a very different type of conversation. So in wrapping up, Emily, what do you feel like, what do you want our listeners to take away from this? Because, you know, something else really quick, we had gone, we had talked at length about like, well, what's the point of this joint episode? Like, what do we want our listeners to take away? Right. Cause we could have either turned it into a dramatic shit show and gone against our values of like, we're not like, we're not here to stir up more drama. We're actually here to for a reason and a purpose for our listeners. So with that being said, like, what do you want our listeners to take away from this episode? I really want people to trust themselves. I want them to trust their intuition. I want them to trust their gut instinct. I want them, I, I want people to remember how strong they are 
even when it feels like you're not. Um, when all this is happening, a, a, a bunch of people, one of the first things that several people said to me was how strong I was and what a strong person you are. And, and you're going to get through this on the other side. And I didn't know when, whether to like punch them in the face or just collapse on the floor. Because I'm like, that is not what I want to fucking hear right now. Like, I, I do not feel strong. I feel broken. I feel weak. I, I can't, I can't do this. I don't know how to navigate this season. But you just do it a little bit at a time. You just do it one step at a time. And it doesn't have to be infidelity. It can be anything. Like whatever hard shit you are going through, whatever season you are moving through or dealing with right now, you are stronger than you think that you are. And you can move through trauma in ways that you don't know that you're capable of until you do it. And when you do it, you will have gained so much of that self-trust that you need and that intuition that you need that you will be so much better prepared for anything else that life is going to throw your way. That's and awesome. on top of that, if you're on the other side of it and you're trying to support a friend in crisis, I think just listening and truly listening, we as humans, and I am so guilty of this sometimes too, we are not always very good at listening. We're good at hearing sometimes, <laughs> but we're not always very good at listening and giving people the space that they need or giving people the, the, you know, kind of a little bit more up close and personal support that they need too, depending on the person. Like I needed the space, but the next person might need more of that kind of in your face, like, Hey, I'm at your front door right now. What can I do for you? Mm -hmm. And let me just give you a hug or whatever. Um, there's, there's always going to be room for that. And you just kind of have to try and navigate that one situation at a time, but recognize that people aren't always going to reach out to you for support. You have to reach out to them because especially when we are in periods of really dark, deep trauma, we don't want to burden other people with that. It feels shitty. Like there were, there were so many times over the past few months where I'm like, Oh my God, how has this conversation turned back around to me? Like, this is ridiculous. We have your shit to deal with. And sometimes I would even try and deflect and be like, blah, blah, blah happened. And what about you? And you're like, no, 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 no. We're not done talking about you yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just really reaching out to people and letting them know that you're there because even if they aren't very responsive necessarily or something like that, just knowing that somebody has their back and is looking out for them and is there whenever you decide that you might need them. That's very comforting on a dark day. Yeah, totally. I learned a lot about how to be a friend. Um, and you're an incredible friend. Like I, I, I have Thanks. never felt more fortunate to have someone in my corner than I am with you. Hey, if nothing else, I'm willing to go to battle for anyone that I love. So you never have to worry about that. If anybody needs an army, Christina's in the front line. I got that covered, but I really did <laughs> learn a lot. You hide your boots next time. <laughs> no shit. I can't believe I screwed that up. I really did learn a lot because I couldn't, I think it's so easy for us to, even from a good place, <clears throat> but for us, like you're saying, like to not truly hear what our friend needs. And sometimes it's just that you listen to your phone cry or listen to your friend cry on the phone for three hours. Um, 
Brene Brown talks about like getting into, I'm paraphrasing, getting into the shithole with that person and just being there with them. My initial reaction, because I am a fixer, is like going straight to strategy. And although we did do a lot of strategic talking and literal, like it it felt so weird. I felt like it was like espionage. We're like, how do we do this? And what's going to happen next? And you know, you would call me like, is this a good idea? Or is this going to screw it up? And we, you know, we would talk about that stuff. That was a different type of support, but that wasn't always where I needed to come from right away of like, what now, what now? Because sometimes what now meant I'm going to go cry the whole weekend away. And just for, you know, for anyone listening, who's trying to support a friend being like, okay, like, okay, like go cry. That's okay. Instead of trying to fix stuff or whatever. Um, I don't want to say it was hard. It wasn't hard for me to be a good friend. Um, I think it wasn't hard. It was hard for me to realize that I couldn't take anything away from you. I couldn't do shit. Right. I think sometimes in friendships and in relationships and whether, no matter the context, we try to take other people's pain away. Um, and sometimes that's not what it is. It's like, I'm going to let you feel your pain and I'm going to sit by you while you're in pain instead of trying to, to take it away. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and more to your point too, I was going to say, I mean, you, you basically already said this, but it's sort of like a different way of putting it that giving your friend what they need, not what you need. Right. I think that's a really important distinction. And again, I feel like you really went, went the distance on that because you and I, have, as we've demonstrated, have very different styles when it comes to dealing with this type of trauma. And you really tuned in to what I needed as opposed to what made you feel more comfortable. And that really just meant the world to me. Thanks. <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing, you guys. Emily was living in in Hamilton, Ontario at the time. I obviously am just outside Chicago and now she's in Bali and I'm still in Chicago. You can see the theme here. Um, and we were still able to, and I want to be clear that Emily has supported me through my own version of bullshit. It's, this has not been a one-sided like thing at all. So, and that'll be an episode that maybe comes out another year from now. We'll see. Um, but Emily has supported me also. So the two way street thing I think is important, but also knowing when it was time for me to ask for support for my life, um, was interesting to navigate, but also very easy because I was like, my shit doesn't even, I mean, it pales in comparison to the support that you needed at times. And something that I have to give you credit for is, you would literally be like, okay, no, but now you need to talk about your shit. And I knew how hard that must've been for you. Or I was assuming how hard that must've been for you because you had literal shit blowing up in your face. And I had smaller and different degrees of stuff blowing up in my face and you still held space for me. So I think that's the term I've been looking for this whole time. Like the art of holding space for your friends. Well, and, and, to that point though, too, I think that I have felt more in my own head this year than I ever have. And that's not a great feeling either. 
Mm. So a lot of times what I have been looking for are what are different ways that I can support someone else to get out of my own bullshit. Yeah. So it's actually honestly, selfishly been really therapeutic for me at times to help you with things that you've been dealing with because it refocuses me and it's, it's one more reminder of like, and I, I knew this anyway, and I need to be very clear about this. Yeah. I've been talking about like, we've been talking about a lot of shit that, that I was dealing with here, but you guys, there is so much worse shit going on in the world. Yeah. Like so many things and so many people more than I could ever, ever begin to count. Yeah. This story is like dramatic and insane and ridiculous, but it's the tip of the fucking, the tip of the fucking iceberg compared to what a lot of other people go through. So any day that you're feeling really shitty about your own circumstances, sometimes you have to get out of your own head and like, look at what other people are dealing with too. Whether you think that that's like better or worse than what you're dealing with or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Just like focus on something and someone else other than yourself, because you need to be able to take that perspective. Yes. I have a podcast episode all about that from a completely different lens, but our tendency to be so self-absorbed um, outside of times of crisis. So that's important to say. I think that's yeah. just human nature. And, um, you know, I think the other thing too is choosing to hold space for the people that you love. Like, do you know how easy it would have been for us to drift apart this year with like days in between text messages and now time zones 13 hours apart. Um, it's God, I mean, relationships and friendships are, are choices. Um, and whatever you focus on grows. And I mean that in a relationship context and in a friendship context. So, um, don't be afraid to, to make it work in your relationships. And I mean, platonic ones, um, and, and romantic ones too, but, um, yeah, I've just, I've been honored to walk by your side through this. Um, and it honestly, it feels so good to be like a full grown adult and have like a rock solid friendship. Cause I didn't have that for a really long time. No, I agree They're because they're, they're hard to come by. Mm -hmm. And I have felt beyond honored. I can't even tell you how many times I have thought it much less said it to you this year of like, I literally don't know how I would have survived 2019 without Christina. <laughs> That's generous, like, you guys. That I is generous. Without Christina by my side. <laughs> Gosh. Aw. That's why I love you. Stroke my <laughs> ego every once in a while. <laughs> Jesus, I'm only speaking the truth. Like, my God, I would not have made it this far into the year without you. <laughs> and my trip to Canada was amazing. We got to, I got to meet your mom and we ate homemade cookies and... I mean, that was a, considering the circumstances, it was kind of shitty, but it was also perfect. Like it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. And then next time you come back wherever I end up or, well, you and I have another trip coming up, but we aren't talking about that quite yet, but no, and it's not, not going to be to Canada. It's going to be somewhere else. So I'm pretty excited. We're, we're meeting up somewhere. <laughs> it still doesn't feel real. I think, I don't know. I got a lot. I got some limiting beliefs around this is not, not <laughs> limiting beliefs. Uh, well, you know. I'm deflecting. We'll we'll do a podcast episode on that when the time is right. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it together. Yes, I think so too. I think that'd be amazing. 
All right. Okay. Well, we did it. We recorded the episode. We've been talking about it for eight months. <laughs> eight months, people. Eight months. You and I have dropped a little hint sometimes because at one point you were you were ready to give me an entire series on the Confidence Project podcast. <laughs> you're like, you don't get an episode, you're getting your own series. I'm like, <laughs> and kind of, we kind of needed it. This has been such a long episode. Um, well, we have we have a series anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah. We have an ongoing series. Yeah. Yeah. We can circle back to like things we missed here. It's fine. Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) All right, my dear, where can everybody listening find you? Yes. Uh, over at room to grow podcast and Emily Goff coaching.com. I always tell everybody, I think I've said this on other episodes is cough with a G. It's how you spell my last name. G O U G H. (laughs) Everything else is how it sounds. (laughs) I don't have anything cute like that for my last name. <laughs> I don't think that you're missing out. I don't necessarily love always having to explain that my last name is spelled like cough like so, a G. <laughs> okay, I should say this. My last name is phonetic. It's Montalvo. How do people screw up the... Okay. Every day someone screws up my last name. Montalvo. I'm like, yo, it's fucking <laughs> phonetic. Yo, you added like six more syllables there. Literally, Montalvo, M-O-N-T-A-L-V-O. It's fucking simple. Oh. Anyways, with that being said, you can find me at the phonetic Christina (laughs) underscore Montalvo on Instagram. And uh, if you're listening to this on the Room to Grow podcast, you can keep up with all the shenanigans that happen on my corner of the podcast world at uh, the Confidence Project podcast. Yes. Oh yeah, and Instagram. I forgot to get my Instagram. So I'm I'm at Emily Goff Coach. So if you want to follow along my Bali shenanigans, feel free to come over because I'm posting a lot of them. <laughs> They've been fun to watch, and a lot and- of smoothie bowls because I'm a basic bitch about that. I'm like, I don't care if you people are tired of watching me eat smoothie bowls because I just fucking love smoothie bowls. So, <laughs> are there monkeys there? There, there are, but not here. They're like not not where I am based in okay. particular at the moment. But yes, there's like entire like monkey monkey forest thing. But I'm a little bit scared to go because really? they're they can be quite vicious. Yeah, I know, but I love monkeys. But they I know are I am vicious. I am intrigued. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I'm excited to see them. Okay. <laughs> Well, everybody go make sure that you're following Emily's Balinese adventure. Very exciting. <laughs> well, if anyone wants to follow my adventure, I'm just sitting in the suburbs of Chicago because I don't have the balls to do shit. But that's a different story. Oh, stop. You always have adventures. I love watching your stories. <laughs> like, you don't have to be in Bali for good stories. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> that's true. But I'm not going to find a monkey out here. Anyway. All right. I haven't this found is... yet either, so don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I have roosters though. Yeah. I I hear them every time you send me an audio message. They're literally like in the background. They don't, they can't tell time. Like I hear them crow at like midnight, three in the afternoon, like 11 AM. They don't know what fucking time it is. I need to give them a watch. (laughs) So I feel like we've totally like derailed this conversation. I think we need to cut it off. It's late by you. I got, I told myself I was going to leave the house already by now. So we're going to go, you're probably going to go to sleep. I got to go start my day, which is the craziest part about these time zones. And uh, (laughs) we'll see you all on the next joint episode with Emily and Christina.
Thank you so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. I'm so incredibly grateful that you took the time because it means the absolute world to me. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review, and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so that I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me over on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday with brand new episodes, and I am looking forward to growing with you.